loving Father, what a tremendous privilege it is to know you, to serve you, to live for you. And Father, we just are overwhelmed with your love, your goodness, and Lord, we find it hard to believe that Sabbath's here again. Where did this week go? But yet, Father, we are sad to see camp meeting coming to an end, but we are thankful for another Sabbath. It's that special time we recognize that you have set apart to commune with humanity. So, Father, we praise you because you are above all. Tonight, Father, as we come together, we invite the presence of your Holy Spirit, and we just thank you that we could be here. And may you be glorified in all that is said and all that is done. Because this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good evening, everyone. Thank you, Pastor Bentley, for inviting me. Uh, one thing you didn't mention before becoming my district superintendent is that we also got to serve time at camp meeting together in the uh, teen tent. And uh, I, was, I was actually somewhat surprised that he asked me to come and share with you because in the teen tent, my job was relegated to the water boy. And so I got to just go get the water. <laughs> I did, I, did it, I did it with all my heart. So anyway, it's, it's, a, it's a joy to be here. Uh, here at camp meeting now, I don't know if I've been promoted or I don't know which way it goes, but now my wife and I lead out in the kindergarten one division. So it's kind of a, ref yeah, we've got some of our students here, um, but it's kind of refreshing to be with people closer to my age. Uh, so, so it's good to be here tonight, a nice way to kind of come to the end of camp meeting. How many of you know that Doug Batchelor is speaking over in the auditorium? All right, well, praise the Lord. Just wanted to make sure you were aware of that. And no matter, no matter, no matter what happens, I can always say that I was speaking right across the way from Doug Batchelor, and you were here instead of there. So, I mean, you, you still have some time to change your mind, but... Uh, we're glad that you're here, and I trust the Lord will bless us. Thank you for the prayers, Pastor Bentley. I'd like to just have one added prayer on my own behalf here for the Lord to bless us tonight. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are so thankful today that you have given us another day to live, that you have brought us through this week, and we're nearing the Sabbath hours where we can anticipate blessings in that special communion that we have with you during those holy hours. We're so thankful for the many ways that you've, you've touched our lives here during this time in camp meeting this last week, and for the opportunity to come here Friday night to continue to consider your workings in your people's lives. And so just now I pray that as I share the story of how you brought me to yourself, I pray that you will just let your spirit be upon me to enable me to communicate effectively uh, how you've done that. And I pray that it would mean be meaningful, that you let your spirit be upon each one that's here listening, and that you'd use my story, the story you've given me, to speak to each ear here tonight, translate into the ears what it is that you want them to hear where they find themselves at this point in their relationship with you. Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start by, 
asking uh, maybe an unusual question. How many of you have uh, something like this? Yeah, maybe not necessarily a pink and gold carabiner, but some sort of ring that holds your what on? Keys. And some of you probably have more keys maybe than this. Some of you maybe have less, maybe one or two. Uh, as pastors, you know, it, there are times, depending where we get called and how many churches we have and how many buildings the churches have that we're at, that we could get quite a stack of keys. Whatever the amount by, might be, why are keys important? What are, what are keys for? To unlock and lock doors, right? And so access, that's right. And so we all recognize that it's vitally important to have the right key for the right door if you want to get in to wherever you're trying to get into, right? And maybe you've had the experiences I've had in moments of frustration where I've pulled out my car key and jammed it into the door of the church and wiggled it for a time and said, oh, wait, wait a second, that's not it. And sorted through my key ring and put another key in. Oh, oh, that's not it. Maybe at some point in time you too have had that experience where you've used the wrong key in the wrong door, therefore not being able to get in where you want to get into. Any of you had that experience before? Sure. I start with that as an analogy. I've actually had the the experience where the key, I've got so frustrated in finding the wrong key after the wrong key that's broken off in the, in the doorknob. I use that analogy because many people in their lives today are doing such as that. Using the wrong key in seeking to open the door to happiness, contentment, fulfillment, meaning, and purpose. And many times, they're doing that to the point of breaking before they try anything different. That was the experience of my life at a young age. I was born in Mississippi, in the South. <laughs> I was only there for six weeks as a baby, so I never got that Southern accent. And then I traveled on because my father was in the military. And so I spent the rest of my life traveling around from place to place with my father in the military. And my father uh, was probably there the stereotypical military man. Uh, many times I see him in Pastor Bentley. That's a good thing. But in my younger years, he uh, rose, he, he, he instilled within myself and my sister uh, the, the realization of the need to be polite and well-mannered and obedient, respectful. And so we live like that with a, a good example set before us. No Christian values. Neither of my parents were Christians um, when I came to this world. But because of the military life and because of that structure, they sought to kind of instill some good moral values within us, at least to the point that they, they thought, life, you know, how you should be good in life and succeed in life. And that was all okay until I came to my 
almost high school years. And then when I came into my high school years, it began a real overwhelming desire, I think, which is pretty similar to many of this age, coming there into high school, but this overwhelming desire to, to really figure out what my purpose in life was, and to really have meaning, to really have some sort of identity of, of who I was. And in trying to figure that out, I was searching for fulfillment and contentment and trying to find some area of life that, that would make me feel valuable and worthy in the eyes of my peers. And so as I was searching, I came into my high school years searching for, for this meaning and this purpose. There's a I was in California at the time, one of the places that I had moved, and, and the, big, the big thing that was surging there in California and sweeping across the country was skateboarding. A little adolescent sport, it seemed to be, of skateboarding. And I looked at these guys on their skateboards and just thought, man, these guys must, must have it all figured out. I mean, they're rolling around the streets and doing these tricks and they're going on the jumps, they're going in the air, they're doing all these amazing things. That looks so much fun and everyone's applauding them. This must be the place where you find value and if I could just be a great skateboarder, then I would arrive at that fulfillment, that contentment. I'd, I'd have purpose in my life. And so I uh, begged and begged and pleaded and argued with my parents to get me a skateboard. And uh, to this day, my father will trace the root of all evil to skateboards. But I got that first skateboard, and I got pretty good at it. And I spent basically from that time, eighth, ninth grade, all the way on into college, without, never with a time where I didn't have a skateboard on hand. And so I got into that with a circle of friends and kept learning tricks and kept seeking to get further and higher and faster and do greater things. And it was fun. It was a good sport. It was a good recreational activity. It was a good exercise. But it really didn't take too long until I realized that skateboarding wasn't really giving me that, that meaning and purpose in life that I was searching for. It still left me searching. Early on, after beginning that, my father took another move in the military, and we moved to Germany. And so I got thrust into high school there overseas in Germany, landing there in Europe, and just the whole culture, of course, is uh, a lot different than here. And basically, once we got there, my parents had made an agreement with me. I'd always done good in school. And I'd still kept that kind of, you know, proper, polite, military-type uh, demeanor, at least around my family. And they kind of made this unspoken agreement that as long as you get good grades, keep doing well in school, you're kind of, you know, you're free to kind of do what you want. They became a little bit more permissive than they had been in my younger years. And they basically said, listen, you know, you have an opportunity here that many kids your age will never have. You're here in a foreign country, 
and we want you to experience it to the fullest. So as long as you get good grades, you know, you're welcome to just kind of do what the culture does. So as I was coming to find out that skateboarding wasn't really giving me that fulfillment and contentment and that value, I looked around there and some music that was popular in the skateboarding scene became attractive. And there in this circle of friends there in Germany, there were a lot of friends that were getting into this style of music. And the style of music was punk rock. Punk rock music. And I thought, you know what? Skateboarding is fun and I'm getting okay with this. But if I could just be a punk rocker, then I would attain to that purpose, that meaning, that value in life, right? And so I began going to these shows and listening to this punk rock music and doing all that you do with that scene, multicolored hair, piercings, tattoos, the whole thing, you know, all that you see in the stereotypical punk rock. I got into that, and I thought, you know what? Not only if I'm a punk rock skateboarder, will this give me this, this fulfillment, but if I actually have my own punk rock band, then surely I will attain to contentment and, and I'd have that meaning and purpose, that identity in my life. And so I gather some friends together and just because of my kind of quirky nature, it only made sense that I would be the, the lead screamer. And I have to say that because every time I tell my testimony afterwards, it's, oh, so you must sing. You weren't about, no, I didn't have to sing. I just screamed. So I was the lead screamer of our very own punk rock band and gathered a couple other friends that really didn't know how to play any instruments, but they did what they did and made a bunch of noise. And we started to get a little following. And we put out a demo CD. And we traveled around and played shows and bars and things of that nature. And it was fun for a time. And, you know, we were giving it our best shot as the, the punk rock band. And at that time, still, as I said, I had no, no Christian, no religious upbringing. I would have counted myself at that time an atheist. And actually, everything about my mindset at that time was anti-Christian, anti-religious, anti-authority. We named our band People's Temple after that cult, Jim Jones's cult, because, you know, he was, he was a Christian man that started off right and then went astray, and so we counted that as just kind of the, the perfect kind of uh, slap in the face to Christianity, if you will. So we named our band People's Temple after that. We uh, had songs and lyrics like Questianity and um, Crucifix and People's Temple and, and all sorts of blasphemous anti-Christian things. And that's what we were all about. And so still there, I was just thinking, all right, we're skateboarding, we're in this band, I'm leading this band, but yet still, had I found meaning and value in my life, what do you think? Had I found real purpose? I, I had been trying to uh, develop this identity for myself. I was trying to, to win the approval of my peers and, and uh, gain popularity, but still if I sat down alone in the corner somewhere, I'd, I'd go back and reflect and say, man, I, I'm, I'm still not 
feeling fulfilled. And so then, you know, one thing led to another, and also in the scene of the, the punk rock band introduced me to alcohol and other drugs, things of that nature. And of course, there in Germany at the time, you know, you could be in a bar at the age of 13 and be drinking beer with your father. And so the culture really lent itself for me to just go crazy. And so I jumped into and thought, okay, skateboarding's great. Screaming for this punk, rant, punk rock band is great. But I'm still not there. Maybe if I just become the life of the party, the party animal, and be known as the one that can supply our, my friends with the, the drugs and the things and just be the, the life of the party in this way, that will get me that identity and that purpose in life that I'm searching for. And so I got all into that stuff, drinking heavily, doing drugs and things of that nature. And of course, it wasn't long enough. It wasn't after uh, too many hangovers and bad nights that I realized that that wasn't it either. And so I was just going from one kind of area to another, trying to find some sort of meaning and identity. Putting keys that don't fit into doors that aren't coming open. I was coming towards the end of my high school years at this time, and I knew that the countdown was on to where my dad would get another assignment, it would be his final assignment before retiring, and we'd go who knows where around the world. And I was kind of dreading that day because on the outside, I kind of, I, I looked like I, I, was, uh, I had the popularity and the fame to a high school level um, that, that you'd be pleased with, that you'd be comfortable with. And on the outside, I had kind of developed this identity, this persona, and this, this type of lifestyle that seemed appealing to the rest of my friends, and then I was kind of the center of attention and things. But on the inside, I knew that as soon as I left Germany, all of that would come crashing down, and I'd start from square one and just be searching again. And so sure enough, that time was nearing, but there was one final area that I hadn't really gotten too involved with that I thought, okay, maybe this will be the icing on the cake and then finally I'll arrive. It was noticing that some of my other friends that seemed to be pretty happy had a girlfriend or a boyfriend. So I thought, you know what? If I could be the life of the party, skateboarding, punk rock, crazy man, with a beautiful woman by his side, then surely that identity would be created and I'd be fulfilled, I'd have contentment, meaning, and purpose. And so I got involved with the girl there. And in my high school mind, coming out of high school one year after, I actually kind of thought this was the one. And this is my life. And I'm going to marry this girl, and we're going to go to punk rock shows on our skateboards and pierce each other and tattoo each other, and we're going to have a great life together. Well, it came the time for me to leave Germany, and my father's last assignment ended up being Rapid City, South Dakota. 
Anyone know where that is? Ever heard of that? What's that? Uh, there's an Air Force Base, at least. There may have been Army ones as well. Yep. Ellsworth Air Force Base. Well, um, you know, now at this age, you might be a little more, more familiar with South Dakota and maybe even Rapid City, but as a 17-year-old high school punk rock, everything else in Germany, you're here Rapid City, South Dakota, and you're like, huh? What? Where in the world is that? So sure enough, we land in Rapid City, South Dakota. This is about 1992. And just as I said, I get there, and now I have no friends, no punk rock band, no girlfriend who ends up running off with my best friend as soon as I land in South Dakota. All I have is my skateboard still. <laughs> so in the first couple years of landing in South Dakota, I enroll in college there, small town, Spearfish, a little bit away from Rapid City, South Dakota. And I'm having this sense that I just need to build this identity all back up from scratch again. I don't know a soul. I have no friend. No one knows me anymore as the life of the party. I'm not popular in anyone's eyes. No one wants to hang out with me. I've got to start off from scratch, right? And so there was a night where I got involved with some people, uh, some acquaintances, I guess I would say. I didn't, couldn't really count anyone as real close friends yet, but I've been there for about a year, maybe eight, nine months. And I got together with this group of people that I had come to know a little bit, and we we're doing some of the same things that I had been doing in the past. We we're sitting in a circle in one of their dorm rooms. And as we're sitting there, we're passing this, this joint around that we're smoking. And I don't know, there's maybe 20 of us or so. I'm sitting there, and as we're passing this around, all of a sudden, I, I just start getting this overwhelming, just negative feeling. Uh, my, my heart just starts really pounding real hard. It's like it's going to jump out of my chest. And I'm, I'm wet. I'm just drenched in sweat. It's like I just came out of a rainstorm. And worse than that, in my mind, all these negative thoughts were just coming in my mind. They were crashing in on my mind. Although I didn't know the people there too well, any bad thing I knew about them was coming into my mind. And so I started this in this circle. I looked to the right of me. I looked at this guy, and my mind is being flooded with what a terrible person he is, whatever lies I knew he had told, whatever way I knew he had cheated in his classes, whatever way I knew he had cheated on his girlfriend, or whatever. Every evil, wicked, bad thing, I wouldn't have called it that then, of course, but about this person was flooding my mind. I'm like, man, why am I with this guy here? I go to the next person. And all those thoughts about all the bad things about that person started flooding my mind. Be asking myself, why in the world am I with this person? And I'm going around the circle to each person like that, asking myself, why in the world am I sitting here in the midst of this motley crew of people, these evil, wicked people? Well, I get to the person on my left, and all of those thoughts come crashing in on me about that person. And then where did I have to go next? Back to myself. And all of a sudden, I'm bombarded with all of my wickedness. 
all the evil. Again, I wouldn't have called it this at the time. I didn't know what to call it. I just knew there was bad, and there was, and there were thoughts that were just weighing in on me. They were crushing that that I didn't really want to think about. And it was just coming to my mind every lie I had told, every bad thing I had done to any other person. Just all of my sinfulness was weighing heavy upon my mind, and I, I just couldn't handle it. It's so overwhelming. It's about two o'clock in the morning at this time. So I just kind of dismiss myself from the circle and go into my own dorm room. And I'm there in the middle of my own dorm room now with all this. I've got the physical thing going on still. I'm, I'm sweating. My heart is throbbing. And I've got this mental thing going on that just feels like my head's going to explode with all these negative thoughts. And I pull out a chair and I sit down in the middle of my dorm room. And I literally think that when whatever this, when all this expires, whatever, when this is done doing it, running its course, I'm either going to die, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to die from this, I'm going to overdose from whatever I, I smoked, or I'm going to live, but I'm going to wake up and I'm just going to be completely insane. And you know, I didn't, we didn't have iPhones or iPads or anything at that time, but I had an address book, a good old-fashioned address book and a good old-fashioned dial tone there and I was a uh, dial tone phone and I'm ready to call you know I knew friends all around the world at this point and I was ready to pick that up and call every single friend and say hey man it's been nice knowing you but this is it I'm losing my mind I'm gonna hang up the phone I'm either gonna die or I'm not gonna be able to recognize you tomorrow because I'm gonna be completely insane the only thing that prevented me from making all of those calls was that at the same time, I felt I, I was holding my tongue because I thought that if I let go of my tongue, that was going to be instant death. I was going to swallow my tongue and die right there. So I'm sitting there in the middle of, this, of my dorm room, 2 o'clock in the morning, shaking, shivering, sweating, heart bouncing out of my chest, mind going crazy, holding my tongue, wanting to call all my friends, just, just a pathetic scene. And in that state, I had nowhere else to turn. Still professed atheist. Maybe at times I had said, you know, I don't know. There might be a God, but I don't know. But in that moment, I cried out. And I said, God, if you're there, if you're real, if you hear me, and if you let me live through this, then I'll search to know you. I'll turn my life around if that's what needs to happen. And so I don't remember the last moment. I, I passed out. I woke up the next day. I was alive. I wasn't insane as much as I could tell, right? <laughs> my sister here is still questioning that. But I went from there and I thought, wow, there might just be a God out there. And I guess the reality is some of the kind of little pieces of the puzzle that I don't always throw in there. The reality is that I started to, until that big experience, I started to taper off and not do as much of the drugs and things that I had done in the past. Um, I actually became vegetarian before that. 
And so I think there were some other things that were adding to my mind becoming a little bit clearer. And I started questioning a little more about just the, the life that we live and if there's a spiritual basis and just really being critical of the materialism of society. And so some of those thoughts had already been kind of coming, but this was just kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back. And now I thought, okay, I've made a pact with some God out there, so I'm, gonna, I'm going to live up to that pact, and I'm going to go search for God now. There is one little caveat that I didn't include in my pact that I meant to, and that was, I'm going to search for God, but I'm never going to turn to the Bible or Christianity. Because while I was doing everything I was doing, I had professed Christian friends doing the same thing I was doing. So in my eyes, Christianity was just a, just a label to make your parents happy or, or whatever, when really you do the same things everyone else does. So I told myself I wasn't going to turn to Christianity, and so I spent about five years dabbling in and out of Eastern religions. And the first one was just so convenient. You know how the devil is. Right? I mean, a week after this whole experience, maybe, a band landed in Rapid City, South Dakota, that was punk rock. I can still listen to punk rock music. And they were Hare Krishnas. Right? And so, <laughs> Pastor Bentley loves that. So, so I thought, wow! I can be spiritual. These guys must have found God. I can be spiritual and put on a saffron robe and tinkle my bells and still listen to punk rock music too. Right? And so I started to kind of spend some time studying the Krishna consciousness movement. And I started doing some of the ritualistic things that are found in that movement, trying to kind of get some sort of enlightenment, trying to connect with some sort of higher being. But I really wasn't coming to know God like I had wanted to. And so I went from there and tied in with some friends there in South Dakota that were heavy into Native American spiritualism. And so I'd go and visit these elders in different Indian tribes. And I'd visit these sweat lodges and thinking in some way I can go through again some other ritualistic type of endeavors to kind of somehow connect with the great spirit. But I was still coming up short. I still wasn't sensing uh, coming into a relationship and getting to know God. And then as I was continuing to search there, I'd started dating this girl who had a brother who became my, one of my best friends. And he was into Buddhism. And so I started looking into Buddhism with him. And we kind of, both of us had similar experiences from our past to where we were just really searching for a spiritual basis to life. We had shut off Christianity, but we were looking here and there. And, and there were some interesting things in Buddhism. Again, some other ritualistic types of things and, and some good moral teachings. But I still wasn't coming to know God. And, and there were a lot of questions about life's existence and, and things that I had that still weren't being answered. And so while we were kind of studying Buddhism, I kind of resolved in my own heart, okay, I've looked through the Hare Krishna movement. I've looked through Native American spirituality. I've looked at Buddhism. There are some good things kind of in all of these. I'm just going to pull out some of the good things from these different religions 
and attach that to my own conception of religion and, and good moral living, and, and I'm going to have my own religion. I'm going to be fine like that. So I had arrived at the point, of course, that there is some sort of higher being out there. There's some sort of God that I wanted to know. But I just couldn't really, I just had to kind of pull it all together in my own thing. Once I came to that conclusion, my friend got a flyer in the mail for Unlock Revelation 1997. That wasn't the title at that time. <laughs> you know what I mean. Actually, his mother got it, and his mother, it never came out in words like this, but this is how it was. His mother gets this flyer for this Bible prophecy seminar in the mail. Her marriage was not all that she wanted it to be, and there was they used to have a Christian background, but had moved away to quit going to church or whatever. She's got her son, who she thinks is ruining his life, and his wife, he's already married with a baby on, on the way, ruining his family's life, going down this path of Buddhism. She's got this daughter that's dating this loser guy that's also going to go down the wrong path in this Buddhism. So I'm going to fix everyone up. So hey guys, we're all going to this Bible prophecy seminar. And we're like, huh? And I really, I, it's, it's, it's got to be a tribute. It's just fully the Spirit of God that moved me because I, I can't even think of why I even agreed to go that. My friend at times who tells the testimony would go so far as to say, we, rent, we went to this Bible prophecy seminar because we thought, okay, sure, let's go see what the Christians have to say about the end of the world and laugh at them. I, I, don't, I don't remember being that jaded and that, that cruel but for whatever reason, we agreed to go to this seminar. Actually, the first night, there was a huge snowstorm and the thing was shut down. So the next opportunity we got to go, we went. And I remember sitting in that seminar, and in one night, my whole world was turned upside down. I think the first presentation I got in on was the Great Controversy. And I'm sitting there, and I'm trying to sift through all the different religious teachings and rituals and, and morals and things that I'd learned through these different religions. And I'm trying to find something comparable that made sense to what I'm hearing right now from, of all things, the Bible. And I couldn't do it. And so, at the same time, I left that meeting with my whole world turned upside down because I had just spent the last 10 years anti-Christian, preaching against the Bible, preaching against Christianity without ever opening up myself. That's pretty much the case many times, isn't it? But now I spent the last 10 years of my life like that. How can I possibly sit down in a Bible teaching and believe it? Right? On top of it, as I look across the audience, there are two guys that were close friends of mine that had become Christians, one a year before, one six months before. There's two guys that were in the punk rock skateboarding scene that I was in, and once they made that decision, I wrote them off and didn't want to have anything to do with them. 
And so I'm in this setting, I'm looking at these guys, I'm like, okay, this is a Christian event, uh, surely, you know, all the Christians are just coming to this thing. And I tried to get out of that place before they had any contact with me. I just didn't want to, I was dealing with my own things already, I didn't want them to pour anything on top of it. But that didn't work. And so sure enough, these two guys go, oh, hey, good to see you again, how have you been, right? right? And we're reconnected these guys, and they actually are part of the Mission College of Evangelism. They're going through this training session, and this is the culmination of their training. So they're, I find out they're part of hosting this whole thing, right? And says, so, yeah, good to meet you. That's some pretty interesting stuff. I'll probably come back. It ended up being basically that I was working uh, nights. I was working from afternoon until night, and it was really difficult actually to make the meetings. But I'd get off work and I'd come and try to make the last 20 minutes or whatever I can catch. And I got reacquainted with these guys and started getting into Bible studies and trying to get my questions answered, especially that these other religions didn't answer. And so through that process, the Bible began to prove itself to be real and to be God's word to me. And the Bible began to paint a picture and show me and bring me into a relationship with that God that I've been searching for. And there was one kind of final event in this series of studying the Bible and getting my questions answered that really, that really kind of locked in my decision for Christ. Because this whole time, it was a struggle. I mean, the, I just heard about this whole great controversy scenario and, and good versus evil and Christ against Satan and this whole thing and why there's sin in the world and, and everything that made sense that never made sense before. At the same time, that whole battle was waging in my own heart. Because it's much like those old cartoons, right? On the, dev- on the shoulder over here, there's this little devil saying, you can't buy into this. This is what you've lived your whole life against for the last 10 years. This isn't real. You know what Christianity is. It's just a bunch of people putting on a show. They do the same things you do. You might as well keep doing it, right? But then over here, it's the Holy Spirit saying, this is the truth. This is where God is. This is answering the questions you had. This is showing you why you couldn't attain some sort of enlightenment and all these other rituals because you are a a desperate sinner in the need of a Savior. And so that whole battle is going on, and I'm continuing studies with the pastor, Pastor Louis Torres, who was here this week. And in one of our studies, he gave me the book Steps to Christ. And I went back home after that study. At the time, I was living in my parents, in the basement of my parents' home, had my own little kind of apartment there. I sat down and read that book in one setting, you know, 120 pages, whatever, an hour and a half. After I read that beautiful book, next thing I know, I was there on the side of the couch, tears falling from my eyes, telling Jesus that I recognized my need for him crying out for Jesus to come into my life and to make me what he wanted me to be. And so I was converted. I came into a saving relationship with the true God. The God that I had been searching for in these other ritualistic types of, of religions. And now it was kind of like looking back at my life and everything I had done in trying to 
build up an identity and find some sort of contentment and peace and fulfillment and purpose. Now it was like a whole load of bricks was just taken off my back and I found meaning and purpose. Meaning and purpose is to be found in having a relationship with the God who made us and allowing Him to transform His character back in us. I want to go to one section of Scripture as we come close to an end here. If you want to go with me, if you have your Bibles, Isaiah 43. If there's one common thread that I can look at in my testimony and how the Lord has led, it was that overwhelming drive to find meaning and purpose. And here in Isaiah 43, there's a call that's extended. You could hear the heart of God crying out to His people. The reality is all of us are prodigals. Either you have come to God at some point in your life and maybe you've wandered away or you are wandering away right now. Or at least by the fact that in Adam, once he sinned, you've been estranged and God's calling you back. Right? And so God is making this appeal to mankind to come back to Him. In Isaiah 43, it says this, verse 1, But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. Now let's skip down to verse 5. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. For everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my what? Glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. The Lord speaks out to the world. He's calling back his sons and daughters. He's calling mankind back to realize that we've been created for his glory. We've been created with the purpose, the high lofty purpose of coming into a relationship with Him again and having His character reproduced in us. Can you think of anything more grand than that? And so, we need not spend our life trying to create some sort of identity for ourselves. We need not spend our life seeking, trying to to, to find fulfillment and contentment in activities or other relationships or other endeavors. The right key is given to us as we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. The right key is given to us to find meaning and purpose in our life as His character, His glory is reproduced in us. And so I began entering that relationship. It was very soon uh, after giving my life to Christ that I jumped right into the school that my friends had come through. It was, I really had a powerful, unique experience on my conversion because those friends now 
had gone through that college and I had gone through it and we were able to come back together as a team of young people and travel the country holding seminars about the Bible and to work with four of my, my friends that were converted as well and travel around doing service for the Lord was a powerful thing. And then in 2002, we landed in Michigan after doing Bible work for a period of time. Um, I was called into pastoral ministry here in Michigan. I've served my whole extent of pastoral ministry here in Michigan. Along the way, I met my beautiful wife who's in the back row there. I don't know why she's in the back row, but she came in late, that's why. <laughs> and we've got two boys. And life now is so much more fulfilling. I have so much more contentment. That meaning and purpose is there without trying to search for it. Way more beyond what I could have ever imagined. God is so good. And so tonight I want to appeal to you. You know, I, as it goes, I don't know you from Adam. Most of you. I don't know if one of you just popped in here because you were walking down the street and had nowhere else to go. I don't know if you've been a Seventh-day Adventist for the last 30 years. But I want to appeal to you, if there's someone here first that has never consciously made that decision to say, God, I'm going to quit searching for contentment and trying to provide for myself an identity and make myself something and find fulfillment and contentment in external things. But God, I want that in a relationship with you, and I believe you're going to provide it. If there's someone here that's never made that decision before and wants to tonight, say, God, I know you're the true source of fulfillment, and I want to give my life to you. I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If there's someone here tonight that wants to do that, maybe for the first time, I invite you to just raise your hand. Is there anyone here that needs to make that decision? God bless you, brother. Here's the Lord. I would imagine, is there anyone else maybe that needs to make that decision as well? You've never consciously really said, Lord, I want to give myself fully to you. I'm tired of wasting my energy and resources and life and searching for happiness and external things. I know that it's found in a relationship with you, and I want to be with you. Anyone else want to raise their hand for the first time to say that? I would imagine, because no other hands are being raised for that appeal, that most of us here have at some point in time decided to live for Christ. But maybe there's someone here tonight that along the way, you've turned your back. Or maybe along the way, you've turned around again and started to go back into other areas trying to find that fulfillment. And tonight you've been reminded, maybe the Spirit of God has even convicted you afresh, that that's not where it's going to be found. And that you just want to come back and say, Christ, I give myself fully to you again. I don't want to look for happiness anywhere else. If that's your response, I invite you to raise your hand just now. God bless you. And you too. Amen. Anyone else? And for the rest of us, if you just want to say, God, you're so good. You've proven yourself to me. I'm so thankful that I don't have to be out there searching for happiness and fulfillment and contentment. I'm so thankful that you are the God of heaven that's come down to this earth and you want to have a personal relationship with me. And tonight, 
I just want to reaffirm my commitment to you and say, God, I love you, and I want to be in a stronger relationship with you than I've ever been in before. If you want to say that, I invite you to stand. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you see us standing here today. We're standing because there are so many things out there in the world today. Satan's got a plentitude of things that are vying for our attention. He moves our eyes this way and that way and thinking that over here is happiness and over there is contentment. And even as a Christian, there are times that we can lose sight of the fact that that you are all in all. And tonight, we're standing to say, God, we want to be fully centered in Christ. This one brother here is making that decision for the first time. Pray that you bless him that decision. Take him to heights in his life beyond this point that he can never imagine, that he can see the goodness of God in a real way. For those that maybe have wandered or have been distracted and they're coming back, I pray that your spirit will be upon them and that you'll, you'll make this new, fresh relationship with you just more vibrant and real than it's ever been before. And we pray the same for the rest of us. God, we're here at this camp meeting. We're, we're looking around us. We're recognizing that the world cannot just go much further the way that it's going. We recognize that we are at the very brink of eternity and we're just waiting for you to come back. We don't have time to mess around and, and to get involved in, in other things that take away our time and attention from being in a saving relationship with you. And so tonight we come to you and say, God, we want to have a closer relationship, a more connected relationship, a more intimate relationship with you than we've ever had before. Take us from this point forward and make that a reality in our lives. We thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org dot org.